So there's, um, okay, cool. Hey, Dan. There's a, um, an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm uh, where Larry David has to go in and do an interview or, of some sort. And he's got this guy, his friend, J.B. Smoove, who's just like a, a neighbor or something. He's kind of encroaching on his space. And he gives Larry this advice, which is at some point in the job interview, you got to flip it on him. You know, flip it like they're not interviewing you, you're interviewing them. Which is actually implied in the word interview. It's the idea that each party is kind of getting a sense of the other. But most of us go into an interview thinking that we're, we're trying to get this job and so we have to impress this other person. But if you kind of flip it to the, to the idea that like they're actually trying to impress you and, and you should be asking yourself or asking them the question like, why should I come and work for you? Like, how can you convince me of that? So you can kind of flip, turn the tables. Another example, another idea, um, I've had guests that come over to my house. Now, when I go to other people's houses for like dinner, I usually don't offer to do their dishes afterwards. Um, although I've gotten better at that. I think of it as like, okay, they have their own space. They have their own systems. I don't know where all the rags are. And I guess that's just me making excuses, but some guests that I've had over, like absolutely 100%, they will offer to do the dishes. And it's like they're looking for things to do to clean up. So in a way, like they've turned the tables again. It's, it's like instead of you asking people who might be dreading, like, oh, can you help out? Like some people come and it's like they're looking for something to do to clean up. Like they need you, they need dirty dishes more than you need them to help you with the dirty dishes. So again, a kind of flip and perception about who needs who. So I was just thinking of those two scenarios in the same sense as who needs who in terms of getting meditation instruction or spiritual teaching or on a grander scale, who needs who more? Do we need wisdom or does wisdom need us more? Or if you have a belief in a deity, do you need God or does God need you? Right? Like where do the tables get turned? When you first heard about meditation or started learning meditation, in your head, you probably had some kind of story like, well, I'm really interested in this thing. It's a new skill. It's going to promise me some sort of result like happiness or peace or enlightenment or freedom from pain, or I'm going to explore different aspects of consciousness. And you might have entered in that, that in a linear way, like, okay, here I am not knowing how to do this thing. And I need to go seek out the wisdom of someone else. I need to read a book or use an app or go meet a teacher or hear from them how to do this thing. In this situation, it starts off where you, 
apparently or seemingly need them more than they need you. You're going to them. You're going to that resource, to that teacher. They're the one sitting up there. Right now, I'm the one talking. But at a certain point in one's practice, the tables will turn on you. And it's no longer you seeking wisdom or you seeking a teacher. But it will become very clear to you that wisdom is actually hunting you down. That the teacher needs you more than you need the teacher. The teacher is hungry for your suffering because it feeds them. The reason is, is because the teacher knows the value of suffering more than the student does, at least until the student becomes the teacher. So there's this Indian uh, saint, Ananda Mahima, some of you might have heard of, and um, I heard it mentioned somehow that she was, she was just kind of like always craving, like desiring, almost like the jealous kind of feeling that they, she just wanted her students. She wanted devotees, not out of a sense of ego of like validating her own wisdom, but she was, she fed off of the suffering of her students that she needed them more than they needed her. So the tables turn and it will, it'll become clear to you who's in charge. Your practice is in charge. You are not in charge of your practice. Your body and mind has decided to sit you down for a talk not the other way around. It's not you choosing to sit down to understand the body and mind or to gain enlightenment or to seek this truth. It's certainly not outside of you, but even this idea that I'm sitting down to find something that has been, that has to get acquired, that's inside of me somewhere, can't find it. As soon as you have the thought, I'm looking for something inside of myself that I can't find, you've missed the point of this path. It's not ever been lost. It's right here. You just can't recognize it yet because there's been so many obscurations of greed and hatred and delusion covering the simplicity of the knowing that this very moment contains the full and infinite truth of reality, right here, right now. You just can't exactly see it. Or hopefully you can, but then you can't sustain that realization. So that's why we practice. So it's a flip. If you have the perception or the story that I'm sitting down to acquire something, you've already gone in reverse for what's actually happening. If the thing you need is already here, 
in every single moment that you're alive, it's already in your very aliveness, then you don't need to sit to acquire it. You don't need to ask a teacher how to find it. You don't even need a technique to uncover it because there's no, a technique implies a, a linear like thing that you, you start somewhere and you practice a technique to, to get to some goal. But if, if the goal is already here, then you have to let go of the search in order to find it. You have to stop searching. I give you full permission right now. Give up your search for enlightenment. Give up your search for happiness. Give up your search for truth. Because you already have it. It is already completely here. And it is doing everything in its power to make you see it. It's blazing. It's as bright as 10,000 suns. It's the only thing that's happening right now in the universe, in this moment, is the truth of the mind. It's the only thing that's happening. And yet your puny little ego is pretending like it's not there. And that all of these other storylines and like projects to become happy are the way that you should be living your life. The teacher already knows that there's no path. The teacher already knows they can't give you anything. The teacher already knows how confused you are in trying to get something from them. So they can't really teach you how to find it because they know there's nothing to find already. They really can't do anything for you other than to resist all of your attempts to get something from them. To resist all of the projections of how perfect you think they might be or what they have that you don't have. But they have exactly the same thing that you have, but less obscurations for knowing it. I was in the mall the other day on my break, and if like a security alarm went off, there was just hundreds of people in the food court walking around, and all of a sudden this huge security alarm went off. And no one was reacting any differently. Like everyone was just walking. If they were walking and then the alarm went on, they just continued walking in the same direction. If they were eating uh, food, the sound went on, they continued chewing their food in the same way. Everyone just kept on doing what they were doing. And that's okay. But I had this moment of realization that It would be ignoring the truth of the present moment, ignoring the fact that your happiness, your enlightened state is always already here right now. You can't avoid it. You can't, like, you can trick yourself into forgetting it, but it's, it's glaringly obvious once you see it. 
once you realize that you're already enlightened and that there's nothing you have to change, there's nothing you have to acquire, it would, it's like the equivalent of all those people in the food court not even noticing that that sound was happening. Right now, if you can see it, the, the underlying all of the changing movements of your body and your mind and your thoughts is the simple fact that you are aware. That's it. That is the truth. The truth is that simple. That the fact that you are aware, the simple feeling of being in this very moment, is the only thing that's real. And everything else that you can see or touch or smell or taste is not real. It's an illusion. It's impermanent. And yet you've identified yourself as that changing sequence of sensations. So don't for a minute think that you can get anything from any teacher. And that's why they have that expression in Zen, which is if you meet the Buddha in the road, kill them. Because as soon as you think that someone else, whether it's me or Joseph Goldstein or the Dalai Lama or Thich Nhat Hanh or Ramana Maharshi or uh, Mother Teresa or whoever your particular person is, even if they don't rep represent a religion, there's someone in your life that you think knows something about reality, they're the spiritual person in your life, they have nothing that you don't already have and possess in this very moment. You just haven't realized it yet. And so what I'm not saying is that, oh, you can never meditate again and give up and it's fine, just go, go on your life as normal. No, it takes years and years and years and years of cultivation to let these obscurations disappear or, or fall away. But all you're doing is acquiring less. You're giving away stuff to see that what you already have and what you already perceive in your moment-to-moment -moment awareness is already enough. So however long you've been meditating, one sign of progress is this feeling that you're being put in place to practice by wisdom. And that's when in this interview, or that's when in this situation, the tables have turned. And that's when you truly learn how to meditate, when you realize that the teacher is already within. So I offer those words for your consideration. I hope it's helpful, not too abstract. Always, if you need to, provide feedback if there's anything I didn't, if I said that wasn't clear or, or not helpful or whatever, I'm open to that kind of feedback, but uh, if there's no other thoughts or questions, I guess we can wrap up. No, that, was, that was really good. Thank you. 
chance. All right, everyone, then. Thank you for sitting with me. I am hungry for your practice, and I appreciate it. it. It certainly helps me continue on my path as well. And thank you. I wish you all good night, and I'll see you next time. Good night. <laughs>